You can support Sapphire Planet by visiting the online store at sapphireplanet.com. Welcome. Your journey is just beginning. Entering the Sapphire Planet. You are now in the Sapphire Planet. Star Wars, later retitled Star Wars Episode Four, A New Hope, is a 1977 American epic space opera film written and directed by George Lucas. The first release in the Star Wars saga, it stars Mark Hamill, Harrison Ford, Carrie Fisher, Peter Cushing, and Alec Guinness. David Prowse, Anthony Daniels, Kenny Baker, and Peter Mayhew co-star in supporting roles. Lucas began writing the script to Star Wars after completing his 1973 comedy drama, American Graffiti. He based the plot outline on the 1936 Flash Gordon serials and the 1958 Akira Kurosawa film, The Hidden Fortress. After United Artists and Universal Pictures rejected Lucas's script, Alan Ladd Jr. of 20th Century Fox accepted it and agreed to finance and distribute the film. Shot mostly in Tunisia, England, and Guatemala, the film was met with numerous problems during production, including bad weather conditions, malfunctioning equipment, and financial difficulties. The script underwent numerous changes, and Lucas founded Industrial Light and Magic specifically to create the groundbreaking visual effects needed for the film. Star Wars was released theatrically in the United States on May 25, 1977. It earned $460 million in the United States and $314 million overseas, totaling $775 million. It surpassed Jaws, which was shot in 1975, to become the highest grossing film of all time until E.T. the Extraterrestrial, which was shot in 1982, 
surpassed it. When adjusted for inflation, Star Wars was the second highest grossing film in the United States and Canada, and the third highest grossing film in the world. It received 10 Academy Award nominations, including Best Picture, winning seven Academy Awards. It was selected to become part of the United States National Film Registry by the Library of Congress in its first year of opening as being culturally, historically, or aesthetically significant at the time. It was the newest film to be selected, and it was the only film from the 1970s to be chosen. The film's soundtrack was added to the United States National Registry 15 years later. Today, it is often regarded as one of the greatest films of all time, and is also alongside The Birth of a Nation and Citizen Kane, considered by many to be one of the most important films in the history of motion pictures. Lucas has re-released Star Wars a number of times, incorporating many changes, including modified computer-generated effects, altered dialogue, re-edited shots, mixed soundtracks, and added scenes. The film's massive success led to the production of two sequels, The Empire Strikes Back in 1980 and The Return of the Jedi in 1983 both of which became critically and commercially successful. A prequel trilogy was later released between 1999 and 2005. All three films were again commercially successful, but did not match the level of critical and fanatical acclaim of the original trilogy. In the early 2014s, the sequel trilogy began production with the majority of the cast members from the original trilogy returning for the seventh installment, titled The Force Awakens, which is scheduled for release at the end of 2015. In 1975, Lucas formed his own visual effects company, Industrial Light and Magic, also known as ILM. After discovering that 20th Century Fox visual effects department had been disbanded, ILM began its work on Star Wars in a warehouse in Van Nuys, California. Most of the visual effects used pioneering digital motion control photography developed by John Dykstra and his team, which created the illusion of size by employing small models and slowly moving cameras. George Lucas tried to get a cohesive reality for his feature. However, since the film is a fairy tale, he has, as he has described, I still wanted to have it have an ethereal quality, yet to be well composed and also have an alien look. He designed the film to have an extremely bizarre, Greg Tolan-like surreal look with strange overexposed colors a lot of shadows, and a lot of hot areas. Lucas wanted Star Wars to embrace the combination of strange graphics of fantasy 
and the feel of a documentary to impress a distinct look. To achieve this, he hired the British cinematographer, Gilbert Taylor. Originally, Lucas's first choice for the position was Joffrey Unsworth, who also provided the cinematography for Stanley Kubrick's 2001, A Space Odyssey. Unsworth was interested in working with the director and initially accepted the job when it was offered to him by Lucas and Kurtz. However, he eventually withdrew to work on the Vincent Minnelli-directed A Matter of Time in 1976 instead. This really annoyed Kurtz. Lucas called up other cinematographers and eventually chose Taylor, basing his choice on Taylor's cinematography for Dr. Strangelove and A Hard Day's Night in 1964. On his decision, Lucas said, I thought they were good, eccentrically photographed pictures with a strong documentary flavor. Taylor said that Lucas, who was consumed by the details of the complicated production, avoided all meetings and contact with me from day one. So I read the extra long script many times and made my own decisions as how I would shoot the picture. He also took it upon myself to experiment with photographing the lightsabers and other things on stage before we moved on to our two weeks of location in Tunisia. During production, Lucas and Taylor, whom Kurtz called old school and crotchety, had disputes over filming. With a background in independent filmmaking, Lucas was accustomed to creating most of the elements of the film himself. His lighting suggestions were rejected by an offended Taylor, who felt that Lucas was overstepping the boundaries by giving specific instructions, sometimes even moving lights and cameras himself. Taylor refused to use the soft focus lens and gauze Lucas wanted after Fox executives complained about the look. Kurt stated that in a couple of scenes, rather than saying, it looks a bit overlit, can you fix that? Lucas would say, turn off this light and turn off that light. And Gil would say, no, I won't do that. I've lit it the way I think it should be. Tell me what effect you want and I'll make a judgment about what to do with my lights. Originally, Lucas envisioned the planet of Tatooine where much of the film would take place as a jungle planet. Gary Kurtz traveled to the Philippines to scout locations. However, because of the idea of spending months filming in the jungle would make Lucas itchy, the director refined his vision and made Tatooine a desert planet instead. Kurtz then reached, researched all, all America, North Africa, and Middle Eastern deserts and found Tunisia, near the Sahara Desert, as the ideal location. When principal photography began on March 22, 1976, in the Tunisian desert for the scenes on Tatooine, the project faced several problems. Lucas fell behind schedule in the first week of shooting due to malfunctioning props and electronic breakdowns. 
Moreover, a rare Tunisian rainstorm struck the country, which further disrupted filming. Taylor said, you couldn't really see where the land ended and the sky began. It was all a gray mess, and the robots were just a blur. Given this situation, Lucas requested for heavy filtration, which confused Taylor, who said, I thought the look of the film should be kept absolutely clean. But George saw it differently, so we tried using nets and other diffusion. He asked to set up one shot on the, with the robots on 300 millimeter, but he said that that was the way he wanted to do the entire film, all diffused. The difference was later settled by 20th Century Fox executives who backed Taylor's suggestions. Filming began in Châtel Girard, while a construction crew in Tazir took about eight weeks to transform the desert into the desired setting. Other locations included the sand dunes of the Tunisian desert near Nafta, where a scene featuring a giant skeleton of a creature lying in the background as R2-D2 and C-3PO make their way across the sands was filmed. When actor Dan Anthony Daniels wore the C-3PO outfit for the first time in Tunisia, the left leg piece shattered down through the plastic covering his left foot, stabbing him. He also could not see through his costu costume's eyes, which were covered with gold to prevent corrosion. Abnormal radio signals caused by the Tunisian sands made the radio-controlled R2-D2 model run out of control. Kenny Baker, who portrayed R2-D2, said, I was incredibly grateful each time an R2 would actually work right. After several scenes were filmed against the volcanic canyon outside Tozer, production moved to Matmanta to film Luke's home on Tatooine. Lucas chose Hotel City Driss, which is larger than the typical underground dwelling, to shoot the interior of Luke's homestead. Additional scenes for Tatooine were filmed at Death Valley in North America. After completing two and a half weeks of filming in Tunisia, the cast and crew moved to the more controlled environment of Elstree Studio near London. Difficulties encountered in Tunisia were assumed to cease. However, due to the strict British working conditions adhered to on the set, a new problem arose. Filming had to finish by 5.30 p.m., unless Lucas was in the middle of a scene. The interiors were shot in London due to its proximity to North Africa, and because of the availability of top technical crew at Elstree Studios. The film studio was the only one of its kind in England, or America for that fact, that could cater nine large stages at the same time and allow the company complete freedom to use its own personnel. Despite Lucas's efforts, his crew had little interest in the film and did not take the project seriously. Most of the crew considered the project a children's film, rarely took their work seriously, and often found it unintentionally humorous. Actor Baker later confessed that he thought the film would be a failure. Harrison Ford found it strange that 
there's a princess with weird buns in her hair. And he called Chewbacca a giant in a monkey suit. Filming at Elstree Studio became another problem for Taylor. The sets Johnny Barry made were like coal mines, as the cinematographer described. He said they were all black and gray, with really no opportunities for lighting at all. To resolve the problem, he worked the lighting into the sets by chopping in to its walls, ceilings, and floors. This would result in a cutout system of panel lighting, with quartz lamps that could be placed in the holes in the walls, ceilings, and floors. His idea was supported by the Fox Studio, which agreed that we couldn't have this black hole of Calcutta. The lighting approach Taylor devised allowed George to shoot in almost any direction without extensive relighting. This gave him more freedom. In total, filming the scenes in England took 14 and one half weeks. The moon Yavin 4, which acted as the rebel base in the film, was filmed in the Mayan temples in Tikal, Guatemala. Lucas selected the locations as a potential filming site after seeing a poster of it hanging at a travel agency while he was still filming in England. This inspired him to send a film crew to Guatemala in March 1977 to shoot scenes. While filming in Tikal, the crew paid locals with a six-pack of beer to watch over the camera equipment for several days. Lucas rarely spoke to the actors, who felt that he expected too much of them while providing very little direction. His directions to the actors usually considered, consisted of the words, faster and more intense. Kurt stated that it happened a lot where he would just say, let's try it again a little bit faster. That was about the only instruction he'd give anybody. A lot of actors don't mind. They don't care, they just get on with it. But some actors really need a lot of pampering and a lot of feedback. And if they don't get it, they get paranoid that they might not be doing a good job. Kurtz has said that Lucas wasn't gregarious. He was very much a loner and very shy. So he didn't like large groups of people. He didn't like working with large crew. He didn't like working with a lot of actors. Ladd offered Lucas some of the only support from the studio. He dealt with scrutiny from the board members over the rising budget and complex screenplay drafts. Initially, Fox approved $8 million for the project. Gary Kurtz said, We proceeded to pick a production plan and do a more final budget with the British Art Department and look for locations in North Africa and kind of pulled together some things. And then it was obvious that $8 million wasn't going to do it. They had approved $8 million, though. After requests from the team that it had to be more, 
the executives at 20th Century Fox got a little bit scared. For two weeks, Lucas and his crew didn't really do anything except kind of pull together new budget figures. At the same time, after production fell behind schedule, Ladd told Lucas he had to finish the production within a week or he would be forced to shut down production. Kurtz said that it came out to be like 9.8 or 0.9 million or something like that. And in the end, they just said, yeah, that's okay, we'll go ahead. The crew split into three units, with those units led by Lucas, Kurtz, and production supervisor Robert Watts. Under the new system, the project met the studio's deadline. During production, the cast attempted to make Lucas laugh or smile, as he often appeared depressed. At one point, the project became so demanding that Lucas was diagnosed with hypertension and exhaustion, and he was warned to reduce his stress level. Post-production was equally stressful due to the increasing pressure from 20th Century Fox. Moreover, Mark Hamill's car accident left his face visibly scarred, which restricted reshoots. Now on to post-production. Star Wars was originally slated for release on Christmas 1976. However, its production delays pushed the film release to the summer of 1977. Already anxious about meeting his deadline, Lucas was shocked when editor John Jimson's first cut of the film was a complete disaster. According to an article in Star Wars Insider, the first edit of Star Wars contained about 30 to 40% different footage from the final version. After attempting to persuade Jimson to cut the film his way, Lucas replaced him with Paul Hirsch and Richard Chu. He also allowed his then wife, Marsha Lucas, to aid the editing process while she was cutting the film New York, New York with Lucas's friend, Martin Scorsese. Richard Chu found the film to have a lethargic pace and to have been cut in a by-the-book manner. Scenes were played out in master shots that flowed into close-up coverage. He found that the pace was detected, dictated by the actors instead of the cuts. Hirsch and Chu worked on two reels simultaneously. Jimson's original assembly contained a large amount of footage which differed from the final cut of the film, including several alternative takes and a number of scenes which were subsequently deleted to improve the narrative pace. The most significant material cut was the series of scenes from the first part of the film which served to introduce the character of Luke Skywalker. These earlier scenes set in Anchorhead on the planet Tatooine, presented to the audience with Luke's everyday life among his friends as it is affected by the space battle above the planet. They also introduced the character Biggs Darklighter, Luke's closest friend who departs to join the rebellion. 
Chu explained the rationale behind removing these scenes as a narrative decision. In the first five minutes, we were hitting everybody with more information than they could handle. There were too many storylines to keep straight, the robots and the princess, Vader, Luke, so we simplified it by taking out Luke and Biggs. After viewing a rough cut, Alan Ladd likened these anchorhead scenes to American graffiti in outer space. Lucas was looking for a way of accelerating the storytelling and removing Luke's early scenes would distinguish Star Wars from his earlier teenage drama and get that American graffiti feel out of it. Lucas also stated that he wanted to move the narrative focus to C-3PO and R2-D2. At the time, to have the first half hour of the film be mainly about robots was a bold idea. Meanwhile, Industrial Light and Magic was struggling to achieve unprecedented special effects. The company had spent half of its budget on four shots that Lucas deemed unacceptable. Moreover, theories surfaced that the workers at ILM lacked discipline, forcing Lucas to intervene frequently to ensure that they were on schedule. With hundreds of uncompleted shots remaining, ILM was forced to finish a year's work in six months. Lucas inspired ILM by editing together aerial dogfights from old war films, which enhanced the pacing of the scenes. During the chaos of production and post-production, the team made decisions about character voicing and sound effects. Sound designer Ben Burt had created a library of sounds that Lucas referred to as an organic soundtrack. Blaster sounds were a modified recording of a steel cable under tension being struck. The lightsaber sound effect was developed by Bert as a combination of the hum of idling interlock motors in aged movie projectors and interference caused by a television set on a shieldless microphone. Bert discovered the latter accidentally as he was looking for buzzing, sparking sound to add to the projector motor hum. For Chewbacca's growls, Bert recorded and combined sounds made by dogs, bears, lions, tigers, and walruses to create phrases and sentences. Lucas and Bert created the robotic voice of R2-D2 by filtering their voices through an electronic synthesizer. Darth Vader's breathing was achieved by Bert breathing through the mask of a scuba regulator implanted with a microphone. In February 1977, Lucas screened an earlier cut of the film for Fox executives. Several director friends, along with Roy Thomas and Howard Chaikin of Marvel Comics, who incidentally were preparing a Star Wars comic book, the cut had a different crawl from the finished version 
and used Prowl's voice for Darth Vader. It also lacked most special effects. Hand-drawn arrows took the place of blaster beams, and when the Millennium Falcon fought TIE fighters, the film cut to footage of World War II dogfights. The reaction of the directors present, such as Brian De Palma, John Milieu, and Steven Spielberg, disappointed Lucas. Spielberg, who claimed to have been the only person in the audience to have enjoyed the film, believed that the lack of enthusiasm was due to the absence of finished special effects. Lucas later said that the group was honest and seemed bemused by the film. In contrast, Ladd and the other studio executives loved the film. Garth Wiggin of 20th Century Fox told Lucas, this is the greatest film I've ever seen and cried during the screening. Lucas found that experience shocking as also well rewarding having never gained any approval from any studio executives before. The delays increased the budget past its $8 million goal. With the project $2 million over budget, Lucas was forced to make numerous artistic compromises to complete Star Wars. Ladd reluctantly agreed to release an extra $20,000 funding and in early 1977, a second unit filming completed a number of sequences, including exterior desert shots for Tatooine in Death Valley and China Lake, California, as well as exterior Yavin jungle shots in Guatemala, along with additional studio footage to complete the Moss Isley Cantina sequence. Lucas had planned to rework the, a confrontation scene between Han Solo and Jabba the Hutt in Maz Eisley Spaceport by composting a stop-motion animated model of Jabba to replace the actor Declan Mulholland. But with time and money running out, Lucas reluctantly decided to cut the scene entirely. The sequence was later reinstated in the 1997 special edition with a computer-generated version of Jabba the Hutt. Now on to the soundtrack. On the recommendation of his friend Steven Spielberg, Lucas hired composer John Williams. Williams had worked with Spielberg on the film Jaws, for which he had won an Academy Award. Lucas felt that the film would portray visually foreign worlds, but that the musical score would give the audience an emotional familiarity. He wanted a grand musical sound for Star Wars. Therefore, he assembled his favorite orchestral pieces for the soundtrack, until Williams convinced him that an original score would be unique and more unified. However, a few of John Williams's pieces were influenced by the tracks given to him by Lucas. The main title theme was inspired by the theme from the 1942 films 
King's Row, scored by Eric Wolfgang Korngold, and the track Dune Sea a Tatooine, drew from the soundtrack of Bicycle Thieves, scored by Alessandro Sicognini. In March 1977, Williams conducted the London Symphony Orchestra to record Star Wars soundtrack in just 12 days. The original soundtrack was released as a double LP in 1977 by 20th Century Records. 20th Century Fox released the story of Star Wars that same year, which adapted the film and presented it as a narrated story with music, dialogue, and sound effects from the original film. The American Film Institute lists of best film scores ranks Star Wars soundtrack at number one. According to Lucas, different concepts of the film were inspired by numerous sources such as Beowulf and King Arthur for the origins of myth and religion. Lucas originally intended to rely heavily on the 1930s Flash Gordon film serials. However, he resorted to Akara Kurosawa's film, The Hidden Fortress, and Joseph Campbell's The Hero with a Thousand Faces because of copyright issues with Flash Gordon. Star Wars features several parallels to Flash Gordon, such as the conflict between rebels and imperial forces, the wipes between scenes, the fusion of futuristic technology and traditional magic, and the famous opening crawl that begins each film. The influence of Kurosawa's 1958 film can be seen in the relationship between C-3PO and R2-D2, which evolved from the two bickering peasants in the Hidden Fortress, and a Japanese family crest seen in the earlier film is similar to the Imperial Crest. Star Wars also borrows heavily from another Kurosawa film, Yojimbo. In both films, several men threaten the hero, bragging about how they wanted, how wanted they are by the authorities and have an arm being cut off by a blade. The character Kumbataki Sanjuro is offered 25 Ryo now, 25 when you complete the mission. Whereas in Star Wars, Han Solo is offered 2,000 now, plus 15 when we reach Alderaan. Tatooine is similar to Arrakis from Frank Herbert's Dune series. Arrakis is the only known source of a longevity spice called melange. Reference to spice, various illegal stimulant drugs, occurs throughout the last three films of the Star Wars saga. In the original film, Han Solo is a spice smuggler who has been through the spice mines of Kessel. In the conversation of 
Obi-Wan Kenobi's home, between Obi-Wan and Luke. Luke expresses a belief that his father was a navigator on a spice freighter. Other similarities include, include those between Princess Leia and Princess Alia, and between Jedi mind tricks and the voice, a controlling ability used by Ben Gesserit. In passing, Uncle Owen and Aunt Beru are moisture farmers. In Dune, dew collectors are used by Freeman to provide a small but reliable source of water. Frank Herbert reported that David Lynch, director of the 1984 film Dune, had trouble with the fact that Star Wars used up so much of Dune. The pair found 16 points of identity, and they calculated that the odds against coincidence produced a number larger than the stars in the universe. The Death Star Assault Sea was modeled after the World War II film The Dam Busters in 1955, in which Royal Air Force Lancaster bombers fly along heavily defended reservoirs and aim bouncing bombs at dams in order to cripple the heavily industry of German's Ruhr region. Some of the dialogue in the Dam Busters is repeated in the Star Wars climax. Gilbert Taylor also filmed the special effects sequences in the Dam Busters. In addition, the sequence was particularly inspired by the climax of the film 633 Squadron in 1964, directed by Walter Grauman, in which RAF de Havilland mosquitoes attack a German heavy water plant by flying down a narrow fjord to drop special bombs at a precise point while avoiding anti-aircraft guns and German fighters. Clips from both films were included in Lucas's temporary dogfight footage version of the sequence. The opening shot of Star Wars, in which a detailed spaceship fills the screen over the head, is a reference to the scene introducing the interplanetary spacecraft Discovery One in Stanley Kubrick's seminal 1968 film, 2001, A Space Odyssey. The early big budget science fiction film influenced the look of Star Wars in many other ways, including the use of EVA pods and hexagonal corridors. The Death Star has a docking bay reminiscent of the one of the orbiting space station in 2001. Although golden and male, C-3PO was inspired by the robot Maria on the machine mensch from Fritz Lang's 1927 film, Metropolis. Finally, we get to the premiere and the release of Star Wars. Lucasfilm hired Charles Lippincott as marketing director for Star Wars. As 20th Century Fox gave little support for marketing beyond licensing t-shirts and posters, 
Lippincott was forced to look elsewhere. He secured deals with Marvel Comics for a comic book adaptation and with Delray Books for a novelization. A fan of science fiction, he used his contacts to promote the film at the San Diego Comic-Con and elsewhere within science fiction fandom. Worried that Star Wars would be beaten out by other summer films, such as Smokey and the Bandit, 20th Century Fox moved the release date to May 25th, the Wednesday before Memorial Day. However, fewer than 40 theaters ordered the film to be shown. In response, 20th Century Fox demanded that theaters order Star Wars if they wanted an eagerly anticipated film based on the best-selling novel, The Other Side of Midnight. Star Wars debuted on Wednesday, May 25, 1977, in fewer than 32 theaters, and eight more on Thursday and Friday. Kurt said in 2002, that would be laughable today. It immediately broke box office records, effectively becoming one of the first blockbuster films, and Fox accelerated plans to broaden its release. George Lucas himself was not able to predict how successful Star Wars would be. After visiting the set of Steven Spielberg's directed Close Encounter of the Third Kind, Lucas was sure Close Encounters would outperform the yet-to-be-released Star Wars at the box office. Spielberg disagreed and felt Lucas's Star Wars would be the bigger hit. George Lucas proposed that they trade 2.5% of the profit on each other's films. Spielberg took the trade and still to this day receives 2.5% of profits from Star Wars. Fearing that Star Wars would fail, Lucas had made plans to be in Hawaii with his wife, Marsha. Having forgotten that the film would open that day, he spent most of Wednesday in a sound studio in Los Angeles. When Lucas went out for lunch with Marsha, they encountered a long line of people along the sidewalk leading to Man's Chinese Theater, waiting to see Star Wars. He was still skeptical of the film's success, despite Ladd and the studio's enthusiastic reports. While in Hawaii, it was not until he watched Walter Cronkite's discuss the gigantic crowds for Star Wars on the CBS Evening News that Lucas realized that he had become very wealthy. His friends realized very quickly that he had become very wealthy. In fact, Francis Ford Coppola, who needed money to finish Apocalypse Now, sent a telegram to Lucas's hotel asking for funding. Even technical crew members, such as model makers, were asked for autographs, and cast members became instant household names. When Harrison Ford visited a record store to buy an album, enthusiastic fans tore half his shirt off. The film was a huge success for the studio and was credited for reinvigorating it. Within three weeks of its release, 
20th Century Fox stock price had doubled to a record high. Prior to 1977, 20th Century's Fox greatest annual profits were 37 million, while in 1977, the company broke that record by posting a profit of 79 million. Although the film's cultural neurology helped to gain international success, Ladd became anxious during the premiere in Japan. After the screening, the audience was silent, leading him to fear that the film would be unsuccessful. Ladd was later told by his local contacts that, in Japan, silence was the greatest honor to a film, and the subsequent strong box office returns confirmed its popularity. Then, Star Wars makes an unprecedented second opening at Mann's Chinese Theater on August 3, 1977, after William Friedkin's Sorcerer failed. With this second opening, thousands of people attended a ceremony in which C-3PO, R2-D2, and Darth Vader placed their footprints in the theater's forecourt. At that time, Star Wars was playing in 1,096 theaters in the United States. Approximately 60 theaters played the film continuously for over a year. In 1978, Lucasfilm distributed birthday cake posters to those theaters for special events on May 25th, the one-year anniversary of the film's release. Star Wars premiered in the United Kingdom on December 27, 1977. Later releases occurred. The film was originally released as Star Wars without Episode Four or the subtitle of New Hope. The subtitles were added starting with the film's theatrical re-release on April 10th 1981. Star Wars was re-released theatrically in 1978, 79, 81, and 82, and with additional scenes and enhanced special effects, subtitled as Special Edition in 1997. After ILM used computer-generated effects for Steven Spielberg's 1993 film, Jurassic Park, Lucas concluded that digital technology had caught up to his original vision for Star Wars. For the film's 20th anniversary in 1997, Star Wars was digitally remastered and released to movie theaters, along with The Empire Strikes Back and Return of the Jedi, under the campaign title Star Wars Trilogy Special Edition. Special Edition contained visual shots and scenes that were unachievable in the original release due to financial, technological, and times constraints. 
One scene involved a meeting between Han Solo and Jabba the Hutt. The process of creating a new visual effect for Star Wars was featured in the Academy Award-winning nominated IMAX documentary film, Special Effects, Anything Can Happen, directed by Star Wars sound designer Ben Burt. journey is now ending. You are now leaving the Sapphire Planet. Goodbye from the Sapphire Planet. Own a piece of the planet. Now you can purchase Sapphire Planet merchandise online at sapphireplanet.com.